This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network. Welcome to a new Afrin podcast episode. Afrin is the Australian Fungicide Resistance Extension Network, a major investment of the Grains Research and Development Corporation. My guest for this episode is one of Australia's leading experts in diseases of canola, Dr. Steve Marcroft of Marcroft Grains Pathology, and we'll be discussing the disease and fungicide-resistant issues facing canola growers in the current season. Steve Marcroft, welcome to the Afrin Studio. Thanks, Drew. Steve, canola's looking like it's going to be, well, quite the money spinner this season. Yeah, look, the prices are obviously historically um, very, very high. You, know, you can get $850 a tonne at the moment, so certainly means that the growers want to get every single kilogram of canola from the harvest this year into the bin and you know make money out of it. It's one of those years where they can really um, bring home the bacon with a crop like canola. But the, I guess there's a few reasons that canola has really taken off in the last few years because we've seen very large areas of production for the last few years, and it's really – obviously high prices is a big driver, but – We've also got better hybrids, we've got much better sowing equipment, better herbicide options, and of course, we're talking about today new fungicide options as well. Steve, it all looks great, but farming being farming, it's not always that simple, is it? There's always complications in terms of the season's conditions changing or causing issues. Yeah, look, this year's been an interesting year. In eastern Australia, we've had this really situation, we've had a very late break, So very dry conditions, April and May, and then June, July, the winter period came in really wet. So I guess the um, amount of rainfall we had in that period, but also the days of rainfall. I think I counted on Bureau website that something like over that winter period, two out of every three days actually had rainfall. And what this means is that each one of those rainfalls is a separate infection event for blackleg, the fungus we're talking about today. So really what we saw was... Crops got sown late, they've stayed as seedlings of the vegetative stage right through the growing season, and then they've had these rainfall events landing them every day, which has been infection events from blackleg. Now, the growers have done a really good job, I think. We've really um, got very good resistance in the cultivar, so really good genetics, and nearly all the um, crop was treated with seed treatments, with fungicides. So they've got through that seedling stage really well. But then as we've come into late June, early July, that's when the fungicides have run off and we've seen really high levels of leaf infection. So that's really when I started getting all the phone calls from the agronomists saying, you know, what do we do? We've got massive, you know, leaf infection happening now. Steve, from my understanding, Australia's in a particularly unique position when it comes to blackleg. Yeah, that's right, Drew. We're the gold medalist for blackleg in the world. We uh, have more blackleg than anyone else. And the reason for that is because we try to grow our crops over the winter, whereas if you look at the Northern Hemisphere, they're growing their canola over their summer period. And what that means is that we sow our crops at the end of autumn and then our crops are sitting there during that winter period. They don't really start to grow again until August, which means they can stay as small seedlings through that winter period when all those rainfall and spore events are landing on them. Whereas if you compare that to somewhere like in Canada where they can grow a crop from sowing to harvest in about 90 days, and through that vulnerable seeding stage, the crops are growing really quickly and they escape a lot of the disease. You mentioned you've been getting calls from agronomists particularly concerned about it, but what should producers be looking for if they're not particularly familiar with blackleg? Yeah, look, there's really two forms of the disease we work with these days. We've got what we call the traditional crown canker, and really that's the infection you get on the seedling. So the real key things I want to look at is 
leaf lesions or more black leg lesions on the cotyledons and the first leaves. And then from those lesions, the pathogen grows along the vascular tissue down to the crown, to the base of the plant where it causes that canker. And that canker can occur in the seedlings, but more often than not, it actually results in a canker or a necrosis that forms over the next few months. So the damage you see on your crowns at this time of year in September or at harvest is actually a result of that infection at the seedling stage. So from a crown canker perspective, they really want to keep those seedlings as healthy as they can. And from a scouting perspective, it's looking out you know, up to that four, six, eight leaf stage, how many leaf lesions they've got, knowing what the blackling resistance of the canola cultivar is, and then deciding whether it needs protecting this year or not from a fungicide. The other form of black leg is upper canopy infection. And this is an infection where we get direct infection on our flowers, stems and branches. So this time of the year, um, once the crops have just started flowering. And then the process is exactly the same. So it's spores coming from last year's canola stubble landing on the seedlings, or in this case, it's spores coming from last year's canola stubble and landing on the reproductive parts of the plant. And then the pathogen does exactly the same thing. So it grows from those flowers into the stems and branches and blocks the vascular tissue, which reduces the yield. So for this time of the year, the scouting they want to do is looking to see are they getting infected flowers or even some little lesions occurring on the stems and branches. And then at the end of the year, to know whether it actually did cause yield loss, they can again cut those stems and branches open and look for blackened pith because the infected flower I think is quite superficial. It's really what happens after that once the pathogens got inside the plant and um, causes that blackened pith, that's a much better indicator that you've actually had yield loss. Steve, it sounds like it's a virulent and opportunistic kind of disease. What control options do growers have once they detect blackleg in their canola? Yeah, it's an interesting point that the opportunistic part of the disease, it's the upper canopy infection didn't even exist a few years, or not that we knew of. And it's been the farmers with better sowing techniques, etc., and better herbicide options who have sown earlier in the growing season, which has meant that the crops have got established earlier, so they've had actually had less issues with crown canker, but it's also meant the crops have flowered earlier. So instead of flowering late August, early September, like I used to 20 years ago, we now see a lot of crops flowering late July, early August, and that's actually put it back into that infection period. So the main infection period for blackleg is during the winter, so it's June, July, early August. And if our crops are coming into flower in that late winter period, that's why they're getting this upper canopy infection. So the disease is actually really adapted to our farming system, which is quite interesting. The farmers have changed the farming system and the disease is then adapted to it and then still causing us a problem. The real control options that growers have got if they're looking for crown canker control is really sowing a good resistant canola cultivar. So the breeding companies have done a fantastic job at breeding resistance and that's why we have an industry in Australia. When canola first came into Australia we had no resistance, it completely destroyed the crop and canola disappeared as the growers would know for 20 years but we have really really good resistance now on their canola cultivar so that's really the main thing. And then to look at where they place their crop on the farm to have a rotation long enough for canola stubble to decompose and also to place their crop hopefully about 500 metres away from last year's canola stubble, which we know produces most of the spores. For uh, upper canopy control, it's actually a lot more complicated because unfortunately this is a new issue that we're dealing with and we don't have a good handle on the genetics yet. So we don't have those resistance options. We know that the major gene resistance in the canola cultivars will stop upper canopy and that's quite easy for the growers. If they don't see any leaf lesions, they know either there's no disease or the major gene resistance is effective and they won't get any upper canopy infection. 
But if they do get leaf lesions, it means they may well be susceptible to upper canopy. So if they're getting leaf lesions and their crop is flowering, certainly in that late July, early August period, which puts them into that risk category, that's when upper canopy will be an issue. So really for a grower for upper canopy, it's about do they have black leg, but it's also what time of year is it? Is it that late winter period where it's really severe or is it later in spring now? Like in Victoria this year, there's a lot of crops which early September are just coming into flower and we think that's too late for the disease. So the disease can still occur, but it doesn't have enough time to get into the vascular tissue and cause a yield loss before harvest. Steve, that's a lot of important detail there and you've raised the issue of obviously fungicide resistance and that is the focus of this podcast. So what are fungicide resistant risks that growers need to be aware of when they're looking to control blackleg? Fungicide resistance is a real issue. So with blackleg, we know that it overcomes resistance genes, for instance, really quickly. So when we put out a new major gene, we get about three years use out of it before that resistance starts getting overcome. And we even see the erosion of resistance in our normal cultivars, the blackleg ratings, which is why the GRDC fund for the blackleg ratings will be done every year because the pathogen is actually changing and evolving all the time. But unfortunately, the same process of the pathogen adapting and overcoming occurs in fungicides as well. So since 2015, we've been surveying for fungicide resistance. And my colleague, Angela Vanderwell, she's found that we do have some resistance to the group three or the DMI type fungicides. Um, fortunately, at this stage, we haven't found any resistance whatsoever to the group sevens or group 11s, which is the SDHIs or strobilurins, so that's great news. But the older fungicides, which we've been using for the last 20 years, there's certainly mutants in those populations which can overcome that fungicide. The interesting thing is, although it's there, we can detect it, we think the frequency is still quite low. So we're not actually seeing any field failures yet. So when the farmers are using the group three DMIs, it still seems to be totally effective. But when we do our surveys, we can find individuals with the mutants, which allows it to overcome. So really at this stage, it's a clear warning that if we really become reliant and put multiple applications, those fungicides on, we will select for those mutants and you will then in the future potentially see those field failures. Whereas at this stage, fortunately, the newer fungicides, the SEHIs and strobilurins, are still totally effective. Steve, how do those guidelines, though, translate into practical advice for growers who need to control blackleg? And what sort of fungicide program might they implement? The first thing is to actually only use fungicides if you need them. So if they've got a good cultivar resistance and they've sown early, they've avoided a lot of crown canker, even like this year where we suddenly saw that really big outbreak of black leg in July, it occurred actually too late to cause a lot of crown canker issues. So it was occurring as the plants were at the 10 leaf budding type stage, not at the one, two, three, four leaf stage where we get that big crown canker effect. So it was quite visual and people wanted to go out and spray for it, but it was at a growth stage where it was too late to cause crown canker and too early to cause upper canopy. So it's really about the growers getting out, scouting, knowing how much disease they've got, knowing how much disease they normally have, knowing what the blackly rating of their cultivar is, and then that critical part of the timing. Is it occurring when my crops are really vulnerable or not? I think that's one of the key things they can look at, and that way they can make a strategic decision of whether to put a fungicide or not. Because really we want to use our fungicides when we know there's going to be um, a yield loss and we get that great return from them. We don't want to use them, obviously, when there's a low probability of a yield loss. For instance, now where I'm in the Wimmera, if you put a upper canopy spray on now in September, 
as the crops are just starting to flower, the chance of getting yield return is very low. Whereas if they were flowering three weeks ago, the opportunity is extremely good to get that return. Steve, you said a couple of things in there. You said strategically, and you also said, you know, maximising yield return. But at the start of this discussion, we talked about, well, prices are really high. So, you know, we might talk about spraying strategically for disease control and economic gain, but with current high prices, would that make any fungicide application economical? Look, it certainly does have that effect. If you do your sums, obviously, the return you need in extra yield on a $850 tonne crop is very different to a 400 tonne crop. And obviously, when you've got these massively high prices and potentially good yields as well, the combination means that it's very, very attractive to put fungicide on. But look, I would look at it that a lot of people are putting fungicides on probably as insurance policies. They're not sure whether the yield loss is going to occur or not. And to be fair, as researchers with the upper canopy stuff, we're quite unsure as well. So in this situation, when you've got so much money sitting in the paddock, there's that certainly that will to go out there and protect that yield and make sure that you do get the return this year. But really, what I want to do when we're talking about this and talking strategically is just to make sure that people have got, I guess, all the bases covered to some degree. So they're not just putting fungicide on if there's no chance of a return. So like I said, if you're flowering end of August, early September, and when I say flowering, I mean the commencement of flowering, the opportunity to get a return from a fungicide is very low. Whereas if you were flowering earlier in the year, the opportunity to get a return is much, much greater. So I would still go back to those basics and say, okay, I'm going to go into my paddock now in September. I'm going to check it. When did it commence flowering? Have I got leaf lesions? Have I got flower infection? Okay, yes, I have. It started flowering on the 7th of August. Okay, I'm going to go and spray this crop at 30% bloom and I think I'll get a good return from it. Whereas if I'm going into my crop now, and it's only started flowering in the last few days and I can't see any leaf lesions because we haven't had a lot of rainfall in August, well, then I'm going to make that decision not to spray it. Because the last thing we want to do is use fungicides when there's very low chance of it getting the economic return and then putting fungicide resistance pressure on the, um, on the products. If I'm understanding it correctly, Steve, controlling blackleg in the crop isn't the same as controlling it in the paddock, is it? Well, that's correct because... Blackleg is a stubble-borne disease, so unlike like a rust in wheat per se, where the disease is obligate, it has to survive on the plant, so if you control the um, disease, it's gone, whereas blackleg survives on the stubble. So you can go into your canola crop, control all the blackleg with fungicides, but the blackleg is still there in the surrounding stubble paddocks, and it's released with um, rainfall events, so you'll just keep getting new infections from that stubble as long as that stubble's surviving. And we know that it's really last year's canola stubble, which is driving most of the spore production, but older stubble will have some effect too. But certainly once you get past a couple of years, that stubble seems to lose most of its power for um, producing spores. But you're right, it's the stubble. Um, it'll survive with the stubble over a number of years, um, which is why it's really about canola intensity that drives a lot of the infections that we have in Australia. So if we're in a canola weak canola rotation, obviously that is a much higher situation than if we're using a one in four year rotation, simply because there's a lot more stubble in the system and growers can't avoid that stubble. It's problematic though, isn't it, Steve? Because the temptation is that, you know, if canola prices do stay strong, growers would be tempted to put in a second or third canola rotation over the coming seasons. 
Look, sure, that's exactly the case. And I know I've had discussions with people, people saying, well, what's the canola industry? And so, well, the canola industry is dependent on when it rains and what the price is. Like farmers aren't canola growers, farmers are grain growers, and they will obviously grow the crops which make them the most money with other options as well for rotations and disease control, weed control, etc. But yep, a high price means a bigger crop. For a lot of Australia, I don't think that's a particular issue because a lot of Australia are in the medium and low rainfall environments. They're not growing canola intensively at the moment. They're not in that canola wheat canola rotation. So they can quite easily and safely increase the amount of canola they've got on their farms. And certainly in the lower rainfall zones, they don't get the disease pressure anyway because Blackleg being a fungal disease really responds to that rainfall like we saw this winter. So generally, our medium and lower rainfall zones don't have the disease issues that the higher rainfall zones have. But certainly, if you're a grower in that high rainfall zone where you're growing that canola, wheat canola rotation, trying to intensify your canola production in that circumstance means more disease, absolutely. And more disease means more reliance on fungicides. We've certainly seen that. You know, 20 years ago when the go was a one in four year rotation, we didn't have fungicides and we could still successfully grow canola. Whereas now that we've intensified that production in some regions, we've really removed some of our cultural practices. So we don't worry about having a separation of canola stubble and we've replaced that with fungicides. And I think that's why we see this resistance occurring. So Steve, would it be a fair summary to say that canola has the potential to be a highly rewarding crop this season? However, growers need to be very wary of best practices for managing blackleg and fungicide resistance. Obviously, the entire industry is a bit of a buzz at the moment with the price and potential yields for a lot of regions. Unfortunately, some regions like south of here have got too wet and some of the crops have been really adversely affected and there's always some areas which we miss out on rainfall. But right now in September, yeah, everyone's very excited about the potential money that the canola industry could make. And in fact, we know that a lot of seed companies have already sold out of cultivars for next year. So we know the industry is going to be really strong given reasonable price and rainfall next year. The real thing is that when you're going into your crop next year, if you are increasing production to get the Blackleg Management Guide and the CMAP and look at the cultivar resistance, and I think really put a strong emphasis on sowing times and that cultivar resistance and then scouting before you put the fungicide on. Lastly, for growers who don't know, where can they find more resources? Yeah, look, I keep mentioning the Blackleg CM app, but it is a fantastic interactive app. You can download it on your tablet and it basically goes through all and asks you all the questions about your crop. It will then predict how much yield loss you're going to get. And then you can then put your fungicide options in and it'll give you an economic response for how much money you might make on those fungicides. So I think it's an excellent resource. They can also download the Blackleg Management Guide on the GRDC website, which has got all the different cultivars and management options. And also they can visit AFRIN's website, which has got the Fungicide Resistance Management Australian Grain Crops Report. And that's a real detailed document that they can run through and um, get a lot more detailed information if they want it. Steve Marcroft, thank you for joining me in the AFRIN studio and offering canola growers all those great insights. Thanks, Drew. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening to this Afrin podcast. Remember, you can find a whole range of resources on managing fungicide resistance in blackleg and other crop diseases, along with more very informative podcast episodes at the Afrin website. Just visit afrin.com.au and click on the resources tab. I'm Drew Radford, and on behalf of the GRDC and all its partners in the AFRIM project, thanks for joining us.